Hey guys, welcome back to the Nicholas Gregoratti Show. I am your host, Nicholas Gregoratti, and I'm speaking to you from an incredibly beautiful sunny day here in Los Angeles. I have a wonderful guest to share with you guys today on, on the show. We had a great conversation about entrepreneurship and what it takes to overcome the adversity involved in life. I got so much out of this episode and I know you guys will too, but before we get into it, I wanted to let you guys know about a new project that I'm doing, which is a workshop on the first weekend of August. It's called the Heroic Entrepreneur Workshop. And the tagline is escaping the rat race by building a heart-centered business. And that's exactly what it's about. I'm going to explain to you guys not only what it takes to get out of the rat race and build a heart-centered business, but also give you guys the tools that will help you facilitate that. This is not a get rich quick scheme. I'm not promising you that you're gonna make a million dollars. I'm not promising you that getting out of the rat race and building a heart centered business is gonna be easy because it's not, it's gonna be challenging. But what I am gonna be sharing with you is ways to make it easier and more fulfilling. So uh, if you're interested in that, please send me a message to the email address one, that's the number one, at coachnickg.com. And you guys know by now, Nick is spelled without a K, so it's one at coachnickg.com, telling me that you're interested, and we will have a quick call and see if it's for you. So guys, let's speak with uh, another heart-based entrepreneur, Mr. Johnny Serpila. Enjoy. Hey guys, please welcome my guest, Mr. Johnny Serpilla, who is author of the author of Life is Hard, But I'll Be Okay. Johnny, thanks for coming on the show. Nick, thank you for having me. Excited yeah. to talk to you. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on the show as well, man. You know, the, when I was looking at your bio and, and your prolific background, the thing I was thinking is, well, the first thing that came to mind is that this guy is, he's charmed, right? You just seem to be charmed. You you. When I look at you, you radiate health and well-being and happiness, and it seems that everything you touch turns to gold. Now, I know you're the kind of guy who's probably very humble, and you're going to say, well, that's not really true, whatever, but it seems to be true. What's the deal? <laughs> well, that's certainly kind of you to say. And, um, you know, ironically, with the title of my book, Life is Hard, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, you would think that it's, it's not been all charmed. But I have to tell you, um, and being completely honest, I, I did have a charm childhood. I was I was raised by parents who are committed to each other, committed to our family, who raised me with values and integrity and honesty and a hard work ethic. So I think I was one of the lucky ones, um, certainly to have that. And my wife was as well. Um, I would say that my business life um, has you know really been blessed in so many different ways, um, from you know running my family business, selling it to. Uh, a roll-up strategy uh, in the industry and then becoming president and chief business development officer ultimately of the parent company and running that until we uh, went to our IPO. Um, that was certainly an exciting 15-year run. So business has had its charmed moments um, for sure. And then from the family side, uh, which is really kind of where the book goes, although there's plenty of leadership principles in that, um, we were not charmed certainly initially, and it was years and years uh, to build the family we have today and where I'll go back to saying we feel charmed today. So that's I cool. appreciate uh, the look that you had on it, though. That's that's cool, man. So, you know, I always try to think 
think about things and try to come from a slightly different angle because I don't want you to hear the same questions on every podcast you, you go on. So uh, I'm going to come come at you with one from from left field, which is, you know, you said you were you were lucky enough to have this amazing family structure and this foundation laid for your life, right? Which, I mean, what a blessing! I think I think there's no other blessing someone could really ask for than that. What do you say to those people out there um, of whom I am one of them who didn't get that? Uh, that stability at home and that that solid foundation of two parents who loved each other and who were committed to the family unit. How do you, you know, and, and I'm not saying this with any, any judgment, but for a guy like you to say like, oh, it's, you know, everyone can make it. We can all, you can all do it. Everyone has this possibility or this potential to achieve their goals. I'm living proof. How do you reconcile that with some people just don't get the same hand of cards that you were dealt? That's a fair question uh, because, you know, we're dealt in life some really fair hands and good ones and maybe some easy hands and some really awful hands. And, and I've had those as well, uh, which is the focus of the book. But mm -hmm. I think to your question, you know, when you don't have something, I'm not a believer, Nick, that you have to have had it for the dream to be there and to be realized and for you to go after it. And so... I found for me in our quest for a family that we couldn't have and we struggled to have, and we can talk more about that. Um, and when our first three children passed away, uh, when the triplets died, you know, there was a, a dream that others were having and living of becoming fathers easily. And it was not a dream that we could grab onto and hold onto, but we could still believe in it. Right. And so we, work to reframe our minds in ways to recognize that the cards that we were dealt were difficult, they were harsh, they were tragic in a way, but that we could move past that and not live um, in, those, in those hurt moments and those tough life scenarios. And the same would be if you didn't come from the blessed background of committed parents that were committed to each other and committed to their children and to their church and their community and all those things. I had those example parents. Um, I did have that example, and I came out of college really believing, you know, I was given so many blessings, this is my life now to screw up if I do, because I was given a good start. And there's a lot of people that do screw up that good start that they were given. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, so many more people that had a bad start and turn it into something amazing, mm -hmm. because they use that as their fuel. So I was very aware of the good start that I was given and, and very aware of the fact that I could blow it um, and it would all be on me. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, the questions that I've had queued up for in my mind for, for my show uh, is not specifically for you, but just generally I've been wanting to ask this question, which is what is the hardest loss you've ever had to take? Now, upon reading your bio, I'm, I'm guessing it was the, the loss of your, your triplets, right? Or, was it something even more difficult than that? No, I, I, I think that ranks up there. I mean, holding uh, three babies as they pass in your arms, um, I, I never envisioned my life uh, having something like that. Um, but beyond their, their physical death um, and processing that, it was also processing the loss of our future and the the future of that family of five that we were in the loss for that going forward took a lot of work um, mm -hmm. because, you know, you could process the loss 
of a human life and the death and you go through the funeral process and all those things as we did. But then you get to the point of still wanting to hold on to the, all the what could have been and, and that will never be, right? And mm-hmm. so you, you could spend a lot of time there uh, without cognitive reshaping of our thoughts, without taking um, opportunities for post-traumatic growth and really working towards those, it's easy to get stuck there. Uh, mm-hmm. So those would be the two, their actual death and then the death of our future with them. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of uh, something I, I stumbled upon many years ago with regard to the endings of relationships, right? Which is that the the pain involved in the, or the pain uh, experienced in the ending of a relationship is directly proportionate to the length of time you envision that relationship to last. So if you're seeing someone on a very casual basis and you just think to yourself, oh, this is going to end tomorrow and it does end, then it's it's only moderately discomfort. Whereas if you expect to have a full long and rich life with this person or these people such as your 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 children that passed then it's excuse my french fucking painful right so um yeah dude i I really appreciate you confirming that for me because that's something i've experienced as well it's this it's this death of it's two deaths it's the it's the relationship but also this future you had that's that's really interesting uh johnny my current um focus in life is on my business and so I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about your, your trajectory as a businessman, because it's, it seems clear to me based on your profile that, um, sorry, there's my cat, by the way, I'm still learning how to control him while I'm, I'm podcasting. Um, you seem to have really accomplished yourself in business. So I guess the first question I'll ask before we, we hear about the trajectory is um, what's the hardest loss you've ever had to take in business specifically? You know, I would say, uh, for me, the hardest loss was when I decided to retire after our IPO. I was 50 years old. The IPO happened on my 50th birthday. We had worked on it for nearly 15 years. I was the number two guy in the company. Um, you know, we were a $4 billion a year company with about 12,000 employees. And it was the pinnacle that we were reaching for. Yet that day for me, felt like an ending instead of the beginning of leading in this new public sector um, opportunity. And when really my career was financially at its all-time high and so many things, stock and all those kind of things were all just going amazing, it, it felt to me that it was time to go. And what I told my team of execs that I've been blessed to work with for so long is that it was really the most selfish decision I've ever made in my life uh, to retire and to say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take my fifties and on um, to decide what it is that I want to make an imprint in this world before I go in the projects that I want to continue to invest in and the companies that I'll continue to invest in. I formed a small family office um, and just self fund the deals uh, that I do myself. Um, And you know, I walked away from an industry that I knew for 30 years and knew inside and out and pretty much every angle of it and, and developed a strong reputation in it uh, for being honest and, and my word meaning something. And then to go into new industries and make investments in companies where clearly everyone on the team knew more than I did. And I was comfortable with that because I wanted to surround myself with people smarter and brighter than me in specific fields. 
And so, you know, that, that loss of security of my future, knowing that I can kill it in this space. I know it. I, it, it's, it's my space. I know this to saying there's, there's more out there and I need to find out what that is. And I'm going to follow my heart. And I wasn't quite sure, Nick, where it was taking me. Mm, that it's so interesting that you, you know, this, there's this, this idea, there's this like dichotomy between the head and the heart, right. And the world teaches you, you know, follow the head, right. Do what's logical, do what's rational. And what I've, observed is that those who reach the absolute pinnacles of life are those people who follow the heart when everything around them is, is saying otherwise, right? But they listen to that, that little voice within them that says, this is the way you need to go, right? So I really respect that a lot. I, I wanted to, to ask you, Johnny, what is it on a deeper level? I mean, I know you want to build great companies that provide good products in the world. It's, it's pretty obvious, but on a deeper level, what is it that motivates you? Which is intrinsically linked to another question, which is what do you think our purpose here is? Um, because I'm guessing that what motivates you is it's tied to your, what you believe your purpose is. So for me, I think what motivated me um, to move forward is recognizing that new forms of leadership and impacting in other spaces is where I need to be. I think as a skill that I was blessed with um, is logic and, and then having the uh, personal care, which much of that came from uh, the tragedy that happened in our lives and the way that we reshaped our minds and we tried to, tried to move forward, that I combined really those two um, units together, Nick, to create the leader that I am. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be on boards in the public se sector, um, in large public companies, in private companies, um, not-for-profits like the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm able to lead in a, in a very high level in a number of places. And I really feel that this stage of my life, that's what these past 30 years have prepared me to do is share leadership wisdom, share business um, and entrepreneurial thoughts with others in terms of how to grow a brand, um, how to deal with all sides of business in terms of, you know, proper and ethical leadership and being mindful of the employees and in the environment that we send them back into in their homes. How are we preparing their minds during their work days to go home to be the best that they can be? The best father, mother, sister, brother, grandmother, grandfather, friend, whatever their real purpose is in life. As leaders, that's on us in their workday to help prepare them for that next step when they leave work. So in turn, that cycle can repeat back where their home life is further preparing them to come into work to be better because and to be prepared to do their job. I'm not a believer in that work-life balance concept because I think it's just life. And we just live our life and we live it with the same heart in mind, whether we're at home or whether we're at work. And I ultimately think if you're a bad guy or gal at work, you go home and you're a bad guy or gal there too. 100%. And, and in, in, in the inverse of that works as well. And so, you know, I don't think we're uh, in the business play world, we're not paid actors, right? So we are who we are and we represent what we are. And are we lifting others up in that process or not? And so for me, 
when I started my new company called Encourage, it's actually biblically based um, from a Bible verse. So encourage one another and lift each other up just as in fact you are doing. And I thought I was praying on that verse and I thought, you know, that is exactly what I'm doing. And I love to encourage people. I love to lift them up. And there's more of that I can do in, in other areas. And I felt the work in my previous company, um, the time was, it was time to go. Yeah, no, good for you. It's, it's interesting. You know, I believe that you cannot really ever escape your, your values, right? You have to align what you're doing with your values. Um, otherwise, it just, you, you probably won't succeed. Or if you do succeed, it will be deeply unfulfilling. And my two values are the things that, that inform everything I do in my life is number one, I, I came here to earth, to this realm to have fun, right? That's the first thing I, I'm here to have fun right? And enjoy this experience. And the second thing is I'm here to leave this place better than I found it. And it sounds, my second one sounds like it's aligned with what you're trying to do. It's just, you know, make people's lives and what they're doing better than before you met them or before you entered into some sort of relationship or engagement with them. Exactly, Nick. And I love that you said the fun piece because, you know, work really can be fun. Being a leader can really be fun following a good leader can really be fun and developing your own skills and your personal brand for growth really can be fun. Mm -hmm. For some reason in the workplace, we question whether work can be fun, right? Because we've got numbers to hit and we've got a P&L to manage and we've you know, got customers to satisfy and all those things. But if you approach it with that joyful heart, man, this is fun work. Um, you know, I, I was in an industry that I never used the product. It was the recreational vehicle industry. I never used the product, but I really loved what the product did for other families. RVing keeps the family li life together. It gives them recreation time. It gives them time to recharge their batteries and, and just enjoy each other's company. And mm -hmm. I took very seriously that responsibility to serve others in that capacity for them to do it. Just because I didn't like to do the lifestyle, it doesn't mean that the job can't be fun for me, right? Because mm -hmm. I found purpose in providing that to others. And when you're doing that, having fun first and leaving the world better, as you said, is a goal of yours, um, then you're being really respectful of the people around you. You're being very aware and mindful of what you're imparting on them. And is mm -hmm. it the best parts of Nick? Um, or is it the you know, the worst parts of Nick that he can't control that he just unleashes on others. And if you're in the wake of that, too bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that we, we owe each other much more than that. And I think you're on that path for that uh, with your second goal, for sure. I appreciate that. Johnny, here's a difficult question for you. Uh, well, it might not be, but, you know, I really get a sense that your guys got got his stuff together, right? And you, as I said earlier in the show, you seem to radiate a good energy and a good spirit. Uh, and you just said, like, you want to leave the best or you want to uh, present the best version of yourself when you interact with people. But my um, vision of, of what it's like to lead a, a, a multi-million dollar, you know, Fortune 500 company I've never done that, but I can only imagine what it must be like. And I have this idea that there are going to be times when you don't present the best version of yourself, just due to the very stresses inherent in that, that leadership role. Can you remember a way or a time that that happened when you just like flew off the handle and lost your shit basically, and then 
besides that, can you can you uh, maybe give us some Jedi mind tricks for how you deal with that when it starts to come up? So you you might not believe this, but I I can tell you that my team, um, my executive team that I worked with for years, would would back me on this, but I really. I didn't lose my shit. I did. I was not a screamer and a yeller. Now, what they'll tell you is that they've never worked as hard in their life as they did when they worked for me. They've mm -hmm. never cared so much about their job as when they worked for me. Uh, and we even had an outside firm that gathered them all together and we did 360 degree reviews. And so this data came back to me um, mm -hmm. from the outside company and that they never had to worry about their compensation. Uh, before until they worked for me because they had the uh, knowledge that I genuinely cared and I was looking out for them. So they didn't need to worry about those things. So they never worked harder. Uh, they never found so much value in, in their work. Um, and they never had to worry about making so much money because they continued made more. That all happened really as a result of my own anxiety. So I'm a very anxious guy. I worry about a lot of things. And the blessing of me ha having anxiety, Nick, is that I'm always looking five chess moves out in business decisions and my own personal actions. And I don't do well letting people down. It, it wears on me in a, in a very harsh, harsh way. And so what I do is because I can't handle well when I beat myself up, when I've let someone down. And, I, and, and please, of course, I've let some people down. Um, but I'm thinking in a, in a big way, in a way that I berated someone or made them feel awful about themselves. That would bother me so much that I'm so mindful of it um, that I've shared with my team over the years that, guys, we are going to be able to talk about anything. And there's no difficult conversation as long as we deal, it, deal with it with honesty and integrity and respect for each other. Um, we can talk about anything. So I've had very tough conversations, you know, saying to someone, look, we're going to have a tough talk and I'm really concerned how we got to this point. We're going to break that down and understand how we got here. But I want to be real clear at the end of this that we, we might potentially look at separating ways uh, because this is that serious. So we're going to put that out there for now, but we're going to walk our way through there and let's be honest with each other and talk. Harsh, harsh words, but said the right way. And, and I've tried to really do that as, as much as possible, not only for them, but because I also can't handle the reverse of how I feel after. Mm -hmm. My mentor, uh, and who, who is, I believe, like one of the, the most adept and wise people on the face of the earth when it comes to human psychology, he says that the, one of the fundamental differences between a child and an adult is the ability to deal with discomfort or the ability to sit with and face discomfort. And I know for me in, in the past, there've been periods where the conversations like that needed to happen. Like the one you just described with, with people I worked with or people I was in a relationship with. But um, when I was, a, when I was a younger and definitely lesser man, I did not want to have those conversations. Sometimes I could not face them because the discomfort was just so great. And I'm wondering, do you have any, I use the phrase Jedi mind tricks. So let's say, you know, there's a difficult thing coming up, right? You've got this challenge that you have to face. You know, it's going to be uncomfortable. You know, there's going to be this awkward energy in the room where you sit down with someone you've worked with for five or 10 years and have to say these, these home truths to them. 
Like what, what is your process that allows you to deal with that? So for me, Nick, uh, I love the, love the phrase, the Jedi mind trick, because for me, it is my self-talk. I literally tell myself, I can't wait for that conversation. I am excited about having that conversation because I know in my heart, I want to get to good resolution. And that good resolution might be parting of the ways, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that could ultimately be best for them. Not every outcome is wrapped in a pretty package and a bow on it, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them are a little messier, but they can still be done the right way. So my self-talk is preparing myself for that, that I can't wait to get the truth on the table. I can't wait to show respect to this individual where um, I hope in turn it will be shown back to me. And I will say that I've had those opportunities to have those discussions and I start it the right way, everything as I said, and it doesn't come back to me in respect. And I say that that's all okay because now it gives me another opportunity to say, hey, Nick, you know, I kind of started off saying things a certain way and how this could go. You've appeared to have disregarded that and you want to be more aggressive and a little bit more hostile in the approach. We can both do that approach. I don't think it's going to end well. Um, or if you want to take a minute and collect your thoughts, I'm happy to start again and see if we can get this going in a better direction. Mm -hmm. And if not, we'll let the chips fall where they fall. Right. So it's not controlling it where it has to go my way. It is creating the opportunity for it to go a good way uh, with truth and honesty. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Nick, I'm a, a big believer that adversity is really preparing you for that next phase of life. And it's giving you tools and skills that you need to conquer what's ahead. And sure. so, you know, I want the pain that I've experienced to be purposeful. Um, and going back to our hard times of trying to build a family. Uh, which is the most important thing for me possibly in my mind as being a good dad and a husband is I want that pain to be worth something. It cannot be all in vain that I experienced all of that. Um, and I just feel raw and screwed or cheated in life. Um, mm. That negative thinking stays with me too long. And so I have to find blessings in it and the good, or for me as an active thinker, a guy with anxiety, it's, it's hard to keep moving forward if I don't reframe those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. The, the concept of reframing. I mean, you can, you can change anything through a reframe, literally like it's, it's the, um, that is one of the, the best Jedi mind tricks I've ever learned is the ability to reframe things. It, it literally changes your response to a situation in, in such a quick way. Uh, I was thinking while you described that, one of the things I, I share with people when I'm when I'm giving them advice or perspectives with with regards to interpersonal conflicts is the only time you lose is when you lose your cool, right? So when you were saying right. that you were you were kind of role playing and saying, oh look, we 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 can do it that way if you want, but let's let's maybe try it this other way. You know, I, I think that's that's to me a, a demonstration of of poise and control and grace and regardless of the outcome if you if you approach something in that manner you don't you can't lose right you just can't you can only lose if you just freak out and start shouting and and that's generally a sign of fear and i i've heard once anger is just fear pretending to be strong and when i look back and all the times i got angry or i was in a situation with someone who got angry with me i realized that either myself or, or them was just afraid right 
I love that about anger and fear. Because uh, to me, one of the comments I always say that insecurity is the root place of all workplace co conflict. A, an insecurity that we have that we haven't dealt with is what creates us to charge out at others. Um, and then it's really not about the circumstance. It's really about the insecurity that, you know, somebody is displaying. And so for me, you know, I've, I've learned and, and, you know, from our earlier years, I've spent a lot of time in therapy and um, a business partner of mine today, Dr. Fordyce, Barb Fordyce, psychologist, is who helped us when Nicholas, Mary and Peter died and helped us for years. Um, but now, you know, today she and I do a lot of public speaking and work with companies um, and helping their teams be psychologically sound and be mindful uh, to propel and move forward. And, you know, I, I learned through those teachings with her that when, when we have pain, I would never want that opportunity for a missed lesson where I can learn and grow. Um, so I wanted to make it worth something. And I think, you know, today, so many people want to push down and suppress pain and look to self-medicate in, in harmful ways, alcohol, mm. drugs, food addiction, whatever mm. it might be, as opposed to self-nourish and, and literally take that pain and look at it and say, okay, there is going to be something amazing that comes out of this. Yeah. And it's to, to the degree that my wife and I both universally believe the time that Nicholas, Mary and Peter were alive was absolutely incredible. It was life-changing. It was beautiful. We got to experience something that many people don't, that we were able to have our children's entire lives in our hands and in our arms. And we witnessed every minute of it. Yeah. And yes, the reality of what happened was harsh and painful. But if I get stuck there, Nick, it's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to mm -hmm. not just hang out at the cemetery. And yeah. so instead I can see from that pain, I got the lesson of how temporary our lives can be, whether it's a day or whether it's 10 years with a kid or 40 years with a kid, it goes by super fast. Yeah, it really does. And so, you know, why can't we feel that we had enough of something good? Why do we have to say it, there needs to be more a second day, a 10th day, a 20th year, you know, why can't we celebrate what we had and, and, and find gratitude there? And when you live in that mindset, and it took us a lot of work to get there, we didn't fall into that the day after the funeral, right? Mm -hmm. It took reflection. And again, reframing thoughts, which is really what my book's all about, um, to continue to look at situations. And when life is hard, keep getting knocked down. And you look at this and say, what can I take away from this? So ultimately, I can be stronger? What, how can this make me a better human and, and better to my partner and better to my future kids, all those things? Yeah. Wow. What a, what a cool dude you are, Johnny. I got to say, um, you really, uh, as I said, you just radiate goodness. And it's just such a pleasure for me to engage with people like you. I have one more question for you, which is potentially a boring one, but again, we could reframe it. It's potentially the best question of, of our conversation, which is if, the 21-year-old Johnny was, you had the opportunity to go back in time in the time machine and sit with him and give him one piece of advice and you knew giving him that piece of advice that he would take it on board and, and integrate it into his life. What would you say to him? Nick, that's a really intriguing question because it's actually how I got the title to my book. 
It is. So, yes, I was speaking at a university to college seniors, maybe about four or 500 seniors. And a young man asked me what I wish I knew when I was sitting in his seat that was going to prepare me for the life that I was going to live. And, you know, that for some reason, the question hit me hard. It like hit me in my gut because I thought like, man, this kid is wise and he's going to cling on to what my answer is. And my answer came out of my mouth really uh, before I processed it. And what I said to him was, um, life is hard, but I'll be okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after I said it, I almost apologized. Like, guys, you know, you know, I just kind of gave this uplifting talk to these business students and the university had canceled all their classes for the day and brought in, you know, accounting and finance and marketing and management and, you know, everybody together into the lecture hall. And it was really an uplifting talk. And then I thought, my goodness, I'm, I'm leaving these seniors with, with that thought that could be so discouraging. And so I went on to just, you know, explain it a little bit more that, you know, I think that when we're young, or even maybe at some other times in our life, we can always just think it's always going to be uphill. It's just going to keep going up and up. And, and if you work hard and you focus on your goals and you achieve them, life is just going to keep going in your favor. It just doesn't work that way. And mm-hmm. life is filled with amazing situations and circumstances and people, but it's also filled with the reverse. And I think when we're not prepared for that, we're not prepared that life's going to be okay, um, we can internalize, um, you know, mean actions from others. We can internalize circumstances and fall into the why me mindset. And that's just something that I'm, I've never been a believer in. Um, I was really blessed to be raised with a perspective that, you know, bad things are happening out there all the time to everybody. And when something bad happens to me, it is just my turn. It is my cross to bear. So I never got stuck in why me. Fortunately, my wife did not either. And we were able to, to grieve together and really move forward, you know, out of darkness, um, maintaining our relationship and our marriage. You know, more than half the couples that have child loss end up in divorce. And mm-hmm. we just made a conscious decision that we are going to grieve together and to each other and not apart and away from each other. Mm-hmm. Well, Johnny, well, that's just the kind of answer I expected from you, and it was a great one. I appreciate that. Uh, the people watching or listening to this are obviously, I mean, if they're, if they're smart, they're going to want to find out more about you. Where should they go? So I'm on Instagram at Johnny Serpilla. I'm certainly on LinkedIn as well. My website is uh, www.encourage33.com. And uh, the book is available on Amazon um, or really anywhere online books are sold. Um, very excited that uh, we just hit the number one international bestseller status uh, in three countries and 14 categories mm-hmm. and are sitting right now on uh, Amazon's hot new releases in 19 categories. So, wow. um, you know, I, I, the book is um, our story of our challenge, but it's really a book about resilience and hope and how to emerge through pain and, and to learn to live through, live with gratitude. And so it really applies to any time in life when it's hard, whether it's work or marriage or children or faith or whatever it could be. It's just kind of an all-purpose um, story that gives some resilience and hope. Amazing. Johnny, so, yeah, I appreciate your time, my man. Thank you for having me, Nick. One of the core principles that I stick to when 
evaluating whether I'm going to buy into anyone's advice is do they walk the walk as well as talk the talk? Because this world is filled with people who talk big, but accomplish very little or more specifically, they talk big and they make big claims, but they don't embody what they're talking about. And Johnny is someone the minute the video came on, the video feed came on on our Zoom call. I could tell this guy has it just by the way he composes, uh, comports himself, by the way he he smiled, just by the look of integrity and honesty that shone forth from his eyes. I knew this guy had it. And so I said to myself, okay, pay attention. And uh, I wasn't disappointed, right? He, there were some, some real gems in there. And, you know, the more I do this work, the more I realize what a blessing it is to be able to engage with people like this and to learn from them and just, uh, you know, share, share in their energy. And hopefully that improves the quality of both my energy and you as the listeners energy. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I will be back in a week with another episode of the show. Until then, remember, we're all alone in this together. Mm-hmm.